Welcome and thank you for joining us here at Life Central. If you want to know more about who we are and what we're all about, check out our website, lifecentral.org.za or like, follow and subscribe to our social media channels. We hope this message speaks into your life and that you will find meaning and purpose through it, guiding you through your daily life. Do you find it awkward to introduce people to each other? You know, when you're chatting to somebody and a third person arrives and you are thinking, how can I introduce this person so that a meaningful discussion can be had, so that there is this lasting connection between these people because I know their interests are the same and I know that, man, they can really head it off as friends, as maybe something romantic. I find introductions really hard and really awkward at the best of times. I found uh, a, a young PhD student who, man, he found a way to work around it because he was really, really well prepared. His interview was over the internet. And I think the interview, the, the internet and um, the digital age makes these introductions even harder because so often you can't even see a face. You're just speaking to some camera or picture uh, that isn't even the person. It's just somebody holding a cat. Uh, but this young man was really, really smart and he found a way to work around it. Nice to finally talk to you. Hope you're doing well. Yes, Professor, I'm fine. I hope you're doing well likewise. So I really like your resume. You've worked with Professor Omar Matar before at Imperial College London, who's brilliant. Thank you, Professor. He is a great mentor and an awesome supervisor. So any particular reason you chose to write me? Not particularly, Professor. I wrote to many professors at Toronto University who worked in fluid mechanics. You were the first one who showed any interest. Well, at least you're honest. What makes you think that I'd take you on? Professor, I know how busy the life of an academic is. You wouldn't have replied had there been no vacancies in your lab. Okay, fair enough. Tell me this then. What makes you think I would be a good supervisor? I contacted your supervisor at the University of Santa Barbara and he gave me a glowing recommendation about your caliber as a researcher and an academic. Plus, I emailed some of your students in your research group and they praised your skills as well. So I knew I would be in good hands the next couple of years. The professor replied laughing, I have never in my entire academic career come across a prospective PhD student who did, the, who did a check on their supervisor by contacting their supervisor. But you see, he's seen you in transition into academics yourself. And I felt that he was the best person to give me some insight as to what I would be signing up for. Fair enough, said the professor. I like your detailed approach to the problem. That's what I'm looking for in my students. One month later, I received my official offer from the University of Toronto, and I'm eagerly looking forward to starting my PhD soon. This young man had a good workaround, uh, the whole awkwardness of introductions, because he did his research. 
This week, we are into part two of our A Hill to Live On series. It's a series where we look at the statement of Jesus in Matthew 5 and verse 14, where he says, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. God created us to stand out, to be this light of the world, the city on a hilltop, to step into who he's created us to be and to show his value and his character to all the world by the way that we conduct ourselves. Now, connecting this student's uh, um, introduction to the city on a hill idea, here's a question for you. How How were you introduced to God? What was that first introduction like? Did the person do a good job of introducing you to God? Was there some things they said that really put God in a good light? And was there some things they kept quiet about that you are wondering about today? I think the same question goes for how are you introducing people to God? Is there some things that you tell people about God and and some of the information that you are unsure about and that you withhold at the best of times? Now, this isn't a question that we often ponder. But the people who wrote all the scriptures who, that was finally compiled into the Bible, they pondered this question often. What is God like? What is his character? What does he value? Um, and, and it can be daunting and it, and it can be difficult to compile an idea like this, especially if you think of it as an introduction. You maybe have one or two sentences to do this in. But they did a good job of using five words. These words are compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, and faithful. See, these values are so important that they are reinforced and reinforced, referenced and requoted more than 20 times within the Bible. Now, it was first recorded in the book of Exodus. 34 and verse 6, and it says this, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Now, God chose Israel to be his people, to partner with them. This whole history starts with the father of the nation of Israel, who is Abraham. And God went to him and said to him, Abraham, I'm choosing you and I want you and your family to be a blessing to all the world and that through your family a rescue plan will be worked where all of mankind will be rescued. Now the history is told all through the Old Testament and it starts with Abraham, it goes into Isaac, it goes into Jacob and the people land themselves um, during Joseph's time in Egypt where they are saved from a, fam- from a famine. Now, after this, there is 400 years, or actually a little bit more than 400 years, that's spent in Egypt. The problem is, from arriving there as a family to 400 years later, they have grown into quite a big nation. That's not the problem. The problem is that the Egyptians have taken the Israelites as their slaves, and they are building an empire on the back of the Israelites. 
God hears his people's cries, and he miraculously rescues them out of slavery and out of Egypt. And he leads them to the foot of Mount Sinai, where he, he reiterates this partnership, this covenant that he made, this promise that he made to Abraham. And he says, in this covenant, I want you to live out my values and my character. Ultimately, to be the light of the world, to be a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. And so, this leads us to this introduction that God gives to Moses. This is God speaking about himself in Exodus 34, saying, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. The first value is compassion or compassionate. The word here is used to, go, to convey the deep emotion that is described that moves God. It is God being deeply moved by his emotion and God being compelled to action by this movement. See, God hears the cries of his people in Egypt and he is moved by compassion to help them to get out of Egypt. He then is moved to not just move them into the desert, which is a very, very inhospitable place, but he is moved to care for them. He is moved to provide them with food and water and shelter and everything they need to thrive in the desert. Why? Well, because of his compassion. Israel, after this, after receiving uh, God's, God's commandments and, and being shown how to live and what God's character is and what the values is he, he wants them to live by, they continually choose to go their own way, to follow their, their own hearts and their own ideas. But God is continually moved with compassion every time they cry out to him to rescue them out of exile, to rescue them out of slavery over and over and over again. This happens continually all the way up to when Jesus comes, when God sends his son, who is literally God's compassion come to life because God is moved to action to provide us, all of us, with a way out of the slavery of sin. And that is Jesus. Jesus sent to come and live among us, to die to pay for our sins and to be resurrected in victory so that we may have life and life in abundance with him. That is the compassion that God has on us. See, God's plan has always been for us to have relationship with him. And he has been moved with compassion over and over and over again to make that happen for us. The second value of God is grace, is grace or graciousness. This is delight or favor. It's a gift given for what is not fair or deserved. Um, it is the most extreme kind of gift. The most extreme kind of gift is giving somebody who doesn't earn or deserve that thing, that thing, and watching them have this delight because of receiving something that they never earned, never deserved, and never expected. And this is what Jesus was 
to us. This is who Jesus is to us. It is this unexpected gift of favor that none of us have earned or deserved, but God has bestowed on us in his great grace. John describes it this way. He says, out of his fullness, we have received, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Christ Jesus. This is John saying that he, as a Hebrew, he as an Israelite, has seen over history how God has given grace and given grace and given grace again and again and again. And now he sees this gift that is the Son of God, that is this grace that has been given on top of all the grace that has ever been given. And Jesus comes and he is full of grace and he is full of truth and they see it happening in front of them every single day. Paul wrote to the Ephesians and he explained it this way. He said, God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. You see, God is faithful. When we confess our failures, he comes and through his grace, he gives us an undeserved favor. He gives us the gift of life and life in abundance, life that overcomes death over and over and over again. The third of the values of God is he, that God is slow to anger. But I'll be honest, isn't the press out there in the world that God is, is an angry God? that he smites those who lives in sin and who are disobedient to him. Well, as we look at it, we'll see that maybe the bad press wasn't warranted. I really don't think that God deserved that kind of press at all. You see, all through the Bible, we see that God's anger is actually an expression of his love and justice for humankind. Let me explain it this way. When you see bribery and corruption happen, you are angered because you know that it doesn't just affect the people involved. It is far-reaching and that the damage done will go so much further than what people can ever think or imagine. It's much the same with God. God is angered when humans oppress each other. And he knows that they are actually ruining his world. They are ruining his good world that he created, that he cares for them for. But the value here is that God is slow to anger. He gives us time and opportunity to change. So when we read the history of Israel, we will continually read of, of Israel turning to other gods. But... In those moments, we, we hear that God's righteous anger burned against them. And so we think that, you know, maybe God wipes them off the earth or maybe he just starts over. But he doesn't do that. No, he actually just hands them over to what they worship. He gives them exactly what they want. The problem for Israel over and over and over again is that it, what happens to them is exactly what God warn them against exactly what he didn't want for them and it rips them to shreds and it puts them in exile and it lands them up in slavery over and over and over again 
it does seem that this is kind of a human problem because we so often choose ourselves into all kinds of things that we, it's really not God's best for us. And Paul explains it to us this way. He says, but because you are stubborn and you refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. God's wrath, God's righteous anger is always a response to human evil. And why? Because God is not about to leave anyone stuck in the cycle of evil, in a cycle of destruction. No, He loves us. He loves you and He loves me way too much for that. And in one moment, there on the cross as Jesus is hanging there, we see God's wrath, His righteous anger and his love all being satisfied at the same time his righteous anger because jesus took the punishment that everybody else deserved for their sin upon himself and we see god's love do its greatest work as in that moment he forgives everybody of their sins and he takes the punishment of that sin upon himself so we see God's anger moving him to action, moving him and showing us just how much he loves us. This moves us to the fourth value of God. This is that God is abounding in love or abounding in loyal love. This means that there is deep loyalty and deep care and that God has an uncon unconditional expression of his character that is, he will always keep his promises. See, all through the Bible, we look at these characters that are explained, we see their lives lived out, and we continually realize that, man, these guys don't deserve what God is doing for them. If we look at our history and our lives, and what God does for us, we realize that, man, we are not deserving of what God does in us, through us, or for us. See, the key here is to remember that loyal and abiding love, abundant love, is not earned and it's not deserved. Uh, no, God bestows it, God gives it liberally and loyally to those He loves. And that's all of us. Doesn't matter where we are in life and doesn't matter whether we've turned towards him or away from him. He will always love us. You see, Jesus, uh, when, when he enters the scene, throughout the gospels, he is said to represent God's loyal love and faithfulness to those around him. And once again, 
it all comes together. It all comes to fruition in Jesus' loyal love for us and all of humanity as he is crucified for our sin. The last value of God that we look at today is faithfulness. This is God's truth, stability, and reliability, or his trustworthiness. See, God is faithful and just and upright. It pretty much means that in the light of all the other values that we've seen today, God is faithful to keep living up to those values, that he will always be compassionate, that he will always be gracious, that he will always be slow to anger, and that he will always be abundant in loyal love. He has shown it all through history, and he promises us that he will never change. Uh, he is always constant, and he's always the same, unlike shifting shadows. And so, God gives us his son, Jesus, to show us that this is the source of trust and stability that you can hold on to, that I can hold on to. And all of the examples that we've given so far today continually shows us that, doesn't it? See, Jesus gives us this, this trust and stability to push through onto what God has for us, to, to face what we're facing today, to know that life sometimes gets hard, but to accomplish what God has set out for us to accomplish and to work at everything, to work it through to its conclusion, to see God's best for yourself and to see God's best for myself. So God's values again is that he is compassionate and gracious. He is slow to anger, abounding with loyal love and faithfulness. Now, the question is, how have you been introduced to God? And I think the more difficult question is, how are we introducing others to God? Are we showing them that God is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding with loyal love and faithfulness? Or are they seeing some other version that isn't the true version of who God really is? You see, when God called Israel, out of Egypt, and, and he, he put them there at the foot of Mount Sinai. He made this covenant that with them. He went into this partnership agreement with them, and he said that this is who I am, and I want you to represent me. Israel didn't do a great job. So often, we don't do a great job because we have the same privilege because Jesus said to, said to us that we are the light of the world like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. God wants us to be good representations of God's compassion and grace and his slowness to anger and his abounding love and his faithfulness. Because if we do those things, we become the husbands and the wives that he has created us to be. We become the students that he has created us to be, the athletes that he has created us to be. We become the employers that people want to work with. We become the employees that man companies want and that others want to work with. 
We step into places that, uh, man, we will be honored for who we are. Why? Because we're so cute? No. No, because we keep to the values that God has shown us to live out. That's how we get to be the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. In the real world, what does this look like? Well, when we're compassionate, we allow ourselves to be moved by the pain of others. When we are gracious, it means we show grace in places where it isn't deserved. When we are slow to anger, it means that we seek to bring justice in places where, where, where things are just evil and, and that we are not willing to see people stuck in destructive cycles. We want to help them to get out. When we are abounding with God's loyal love, we are known as a people of our word. We keep our promises and we value caring for others around us. And lastly, when we are faithful, man, we become a beacon of trust and a beacon of stability in uncertain times. What is your next step? Well, we get to represent our Father. So God's values shows us two things. The first is that God can be trusted, that these values, this description that he gives himself was something that he gave thousands of years ago to a nation out in the desert. And he has continually through history shown himself to be faithful to his character, to be faithful to his values, to live them out consistently. And his promise to us is that he will keep doing it all through eternity. You can trust God. That's the first thing that we learn today. The second thing is that God has given us something to aspire to. He has shown us a good set of values that we can live by to become the light of the world, to be that city on the hill that He has created us, us to be, to be the best introduction to God that people around you can ever see. If you are in one of those places today and you want to say, God, man, I want to step into what you have. Lord, I want to trust you. Or Lord, I want to trust you to make me the person that is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, and ultimately faithful. I want to pray with you today. Father God, we thank you that we can be here. Lord, I thank you for the message today. Lord, I thank you for challenging us today. Lord, I thank you for who you are and that we can know that you will never change, Lord. Lord, I thank you that we can trust you to be gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithful to us, Lord God. And that we can know that we know you will keep being that person to us forever. Father God, secondly, I want to pray, Lord, will you help us to represent you well. Lord, will you help us to, to be your people? Lord, to Lord, be the light of the world, that city on a hill that can't be hidden, Lord, to show to others your grace, your compassion, your slowness to anger, your justice, Lord, your abounding love and your faithfulness. 
And Lord, in so doing, for us to step into being the people that you have created us to be. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us again today. And I want to ask you, keep coming back. We've got two more sessions to go in a hill to live on. Have a wonderful week. Thank you for listening in to the Life Central podcast today. If you would like to get connected or get involved, follow us on social media or visit our website, lifecentral.org.za. We hope you join us here again next week.